Well, this is the next to last week in the series, the Always God series. I trust that it's been a, an enjoyable study for you, um, recognizing that God is always with you. God always pursues. God always sees. God always hears. He's with us. God has not changed over time, and we can still experience Him every single day in, in a very real way. So this week, I want us to look at how God is still pursuing. He's always pursuing us. There's a board game you're probably familiar with, Clue. Hopefully somewhat familiar with it. Now, when playing Clue, you have to pay attention. You have to ask the right questions. You have to follow the, the right leads. You have to take notes, and you have to take risks, and you have to be aggressive which uh, at times it really wasn't my favorite game because <laughs> roll your dice, move your mice, then everyone stays safe, you know, whatever. And, you know, what's actually fun about the game of Clue, though, is not just the mystery behind it, but the fact that the game is not over until someone has chased the killer down, named the room in which the murder took place, and discovered the weapon that was used, right? Like Colonel Mustard in the uh, conservatory with the candlestick. There's no giving up, no quitting. It's not over until what is pursued is chased down. It's this kind of bold, aggressive, never-give-up pursuit that we read about and discover in Luke 15. Talked about it a little bit last week, said read that chapter. It's the lost chapter of Luke. And we find in this chapter three parables that teach one big lesson. And the lesson is this. God pursues the lost. God pursues the lost. The reason for Jesus coming to earth was to pursue, chase down, seek out, search for those who are lost and in need of Him. And in, in three of the most well-known parables in Scripture, all right here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus vividly illustrates for us what this pursuit of the lost looks like. Now, before we get into our text today, let's talk about what we mean when we use the term lost, because we all, we will see this word a lot. Twice in the first parable, dealing with a lost sheep, twice in the second parable, dealing with a lost coin, and then once in the third parable, dealing with a lost son. Now, most of us know what it means to be lost or to lose something of value to us. It's said that the average American spends two and a half days each year looking for lost items. <laughs> wow. And collectively costs U.S. households $2.7 billion a year in replacement costs. <laughs> yeah. Where was my brush? Yeah. I thought we bought a hamburger. What? Don't want to lose that. <laughs> but think about it. We lose uh, that one sock. And we look for it. We spend two and a half days in the year looking for lost socks. Or, and then we got to go buy some more socks because we just have one of the pair. Unless you go around wearing the two different kinds, and that's okay. That's all right. I guarantee you, we spend two and a half days a year looking for the remote control to the TV. <laughs> we lose our keys. We lose our glasses. We lose our wallet. We lose our phone. Hey, Siri, all those things. Well, okay, good. <laughs> If you ever see a young parent with an infant, 
you will know them because they, have, they will have at least three pacifiers on them at all times. <laughs> somewhere. They got them somewhere. Because they're going to lose it somewhere. They've got to find the pacifier. <laughs> Plug that thing. It's crying so much. Those things have legs, those pacifiers. You can never find them. They walk away. Clip-on pacifiers. They were the best when our kids were young, when they were infants. The pacifiers attached to a clip that you attach then to the clothes, which made it a little easier for us new parents to find the pacifier. If the thing went out of their mouth, it went and hung right there. It's like, yeah, get that back in. Our grandchildren use a pacifier that is attached to a small stuffed animal. You've probably seen those. So same concept, hard to lose. We all know what it is to lose something or to be lost. Luckily, with cell phones and GPSs, we, we, we don't have that problem as much anymore. But nothing can be as hopeless or as frustrating as losing something important to you or being lost, as Woody talks about being a lost toy and not knowing how to get where you need to be. Well, Jesus takes this word, lost, and he applies it to describe those who are not in relationship with him. And this word lost that he uses is defined in a much stronger way in the original language of the Bible than our definition of lost that we have today. It's actually a word that means the state of being ruined. It means utterly destroyed or totally decimated. It's the same word found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Same word lost, to be wasted away, but have eternal life. So lost is a good word to describe those who don't know Jesus. The Bible actually refers to those who don't know Jesus in other places in Scripture as being hostile to God, as well as being separated from Him, having no hope, and also being in the dominion of darkness. Lost is a good word. I hope you can understand what is being communicated when we say God pursues the lost. What we're saying here is He pursues these types of people, those who are perishing, those who are wasting their lives away, those who are in a state of being ruined and decimated by the enemy, those who are lost. And this is who God pursues. God pursues the lost. And this is exactly why Jesus tells these parables to a bunch of religious leaders gathered around Him that day, and and, and this is the context that we find ourselves in Luke 15. Jesus is blowing up their idea of what they think they know about God. You think that, huh? Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) And He tells these parables. Anyway, ready to look at Luke chapter 15? If you haven't yet, go ahead and turn to that, and let's look into this, uh, this chapter. Luke 15, it'll be also behind me as well, too, if you want to follow along. But uh, you can open it up in your Bible as well, too. First three verses. Verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Him. Now, one moment here. Let me, let me pause. They drew near to Him because they were comfortable around Him. Just think about that. He didn't pass judgment on them or, or look down on them, but spoke to them in a way that they could understand. He showed them love. He showed them care and concern. Just a practical question for us to answer, and we'll come back to this at the very end of today's message. But I wonder, 
if those that are lost, I wonder if those that are sinners, as it describes here in, in, in Scripture, feel as comfortable and as loved around me or around you as they did around Jesus. Just something for us to consider and think about. Anyway, so tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to, to, to hear him. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now, never in a million years did the religious leaders view God as a God that pursued those who were lost or as a God who sought after those who were not seeking Him. Commentator William Barclay, he says, No Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that. A great Jewish scholar has admitted that this is the one absolutely new thing which Jesus taught about God, that He actually searched for us. A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling, crawling home to God in self-abasement and prayed for pity might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out to search for sinners. God pursues the lost. He pursues the lost, and God's pursuit of the lost is illustrated so well in this parable. So, in parable 1, it's a lost sheep. Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here you have one little sheep that was lost, in danger, on his way to destruction. You know who the sheep represents, right? Represents us. It's me. It's you. Isaiah 53 tells us about that. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've turned to our own way. And then you have the, the shepherd, and we know, we know who the shepherd is, right? Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So this good shepherd leaves his 99 sheep to go and search for the one lost sheep and searches until he finds it. And when he finds it, there's a celebration and rejoicing. Well, the same with the parable of the lost coin in the second parable here in this chapter. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This coin is of great value. It represented a day's worth of wages. And so this woman puts everything on hold until she finds this coin. Talk about a pursuit. Nothing else is going to happen until I find this coin. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house searches carefully, nothing else gets on her agenda, nothing else gets done until what is lost is found. You've been there, right? You've lost something important to you, 
the world stops. <laughs> Everyone, don't move. I lost my keys. <laughs> Where are my keys? Everything stops. And once she finds it, once it's tracked down, once the pursuit is over, what follows? Celebration, rejoicing. You beginning to see a pattern here? <laughs> and then the third parable, the lost son. Now, we don't have time to read the whole parable of the day in this, but uh, most of you are familiar with the story. A young, immature son goes to his father and requests his share of the estate. As you probably are aware, in Bible times, this is the equivalent of a son saying to his father, you are dead to me. Because it was only at the father's physical death that the son would have received his inheritance. So to this son's mind and, and, and idea, his father's dead. Got to be dead so that he can receive his inheritance. So the father, while brokenhearted, allows his son the freedom to make this decision. He gives him his portion of the estate. And the Bible tells us that this son went into a far country, wanted to be as far from home as possible, and there he squandered his wealth. He wasted his inheritance in wild living. And it was soon after that he had to hire himself out as a servant, take a job feeding pigs. <laughs> Can you imagine anything lower for a Jewish man than feeding pigs? No one could tell a story like Jesus. Wow, he's just bringing everything into this parable. And no doubt the religious leaders of the day were thinking that this kid is getting exactly what he deserved. Because to them, he was just a rebellious kid that was reaping what he sowed. And no doubt he was, and he was absolutely miserable. In fact, if you look at uh, verse 16 of Luke chapter 15, and on a few verses, I'll read those, will be behind me here too. It says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, totally undignified, totally undignified in that day to, for, for a man to run like this. And you can probably imagine how wild maybe he was looking, running down that road, trying to get to his son, because there he is. But this father doesn't care. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a picture. What an image. Father running to hug and welcome his lost son home. 
Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon called Many Kisses for Returning Sinners. And he preached an entire sermon on that small phrase and kissed him. <laughs> an entire sermon. He writes, uh, Charles Spurgeon writes, See the contrast. There is the son scarcely daring to think of embracing his father, yet his father has scarcely seen him before he has fallen on his neck. Now, that phrase is kind of an old phrase, basically embracing him lovingly, falling on his neck. The condescension of God toward penitent sinners is very great. He seems to stoop from his throne of glory to fall upon the neck of a repentant sinner. God on the neck of a sinner. What a wonderful picture. Again, embracing lovingly. Incredible picture. A picture of God not only running toward the wayward and lost, but embracing. And listen, God is still running after us and pursuing us. He pursues and runs after the lost every day. I read these three parables, and there's something that sticks out to me about them. A big idea, of course, today in these parables is God pursues the lost. I mentioned that already. But after reading and studying Luke 15 this week, I want to add a few words to our big idea, a big point here today. And that is, God pursues the one that is lost. God pursues the one that is lost. You probably noticed the word one in these parables. It's all throughout. It's highlighted over and over again. This is what could be called the value of one. There is value in each person. In Luke 15, verses 4 and 7, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Value of one. The other parable, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin, the one lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The value of one. The father, while he had two sons, it was the one that was lost in a far country that he grieved after and ran towards. This is the infinite value of one. You see this value in the searching that takes place. The searching that takes place, leaving the 99, turning the house upside down. The father seeing his son while he was still a long way off. You see this value in the celebration that follows as well. He picks up the sheep puts it on his shoulders. The woman calls her friends and says, Rejoice with me! The father throws a party, putting the best robe on his son, a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. You can't read these parables without the value of that which is lost coming off the page. God values the one. God, God values you. And the clear teaching from Jesus here is that the lost, those outside of a relationship with Him, are of great value to Him. Everyone that is lost is of great value to Jesus. This is why he went on the ultimate search and rescue mission, leaving the confines of heaven, coming to earth, and in his own words states the mission of his life, saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. 
This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and died for me and for you. It was the ultimate way God would show how He pursues us. It was the ultimate way God would show the lost how much they are valued, how much He loves them. Scripture tells us God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So don't buy into the idea that you don't matter or that your life isn't worth anything. That's a, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Don't buy into those things. Recently heard that suicide is up 33% over the last two decades. It's the second leading cause of death between those 10 to 34 years of age. Suicide. Hopelessness. Don't listen to the enemy telling you that your, your life is hopeless, that your life is meaningless, that you don't have value. You do matter. And you have since before you were born. Scripture tells us, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I, to, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. God knows you inside and out. He loves you. As I've told you all, every time when we conclude our service, God loves you as if you're the only person all the world love. It's true. <laughs> so if you're here this morning, you're not in a relationship with Jesus, that means that you are here this morning and lost. Those who are joining us online, if you're joining us and you don't have the relationship with Jesus Christ, it means you're lost. And God brought you here today as a way of pursuing you. Maybe you weren't expecting to maybe come to church today or other things are going on. Well, I better go to church. God's pursuing you. God wants that relationship with you. He's coming after you. He wants you to surrender your life to Him. Give up going your own way. Give up doing your own thing. Just give up running. <laughs> give it up. Because you can't outrun the one who has been referred to as the hound of heaven. Maybe you've heard that, that phrase before. Francis Thompson was born in, in England in 1859. He grew up wanting to become a writer, but his father wanted him to follow in his, in, in his steps to become a physician. So he tried it for a, a season, but ended up leaving school and going to the big city of London to pursue his original dreams of being a writer. While in London, he became sick, and after getting some medical treatment, became addicted to the opium that was prescribed to him. He became so strung out on it that it eventually led to his poverty and also to his homelessness. His biographer noted that he would actually sleep on the banks of the Thames River and sold matches just, just to stay alive. It was at some point during this time that he found strength in his faith and wrote a poem that is known for and called The Hound of Heaven. <laughs> he ended up dying at 47 from tuberculosis. G.K. Chesterton 
preached at his funeral, and he is famous for influencing writers like uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Spurgeon was known to use the title of his poem, Hound of Heaven, in his sermons. The poem is too long for us to read today. You can look it up online. It's uh, old English as well, too, so you have to read it carefully. But I do want to read a commentary on it. This person says, The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing near in the chase, with unhurried and unperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by His divine grace. And though in sin or in human love away from God, it seeks to hide itself. Divine grace follows after, unwearingly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to Him alone in that never-ending pursuit. God, the hound of heaven, He will chase you down (laughs) and continue to pursue you with an everlasting love. To keep running from Him is to keep hurting yourself. Stop running. (laughs) I want to encourage those that that are lost. Kind of sense that, maybe. Kind of sense that maybe you're not where you need to be. Stop running. Turn to the hound of heaven. You can't get away from him because he loves you so much. He's going to pursue you until he gets you, finds you. God loves you. The value of one, he loves you. And what happens once you allow yourself to be found by God? party. It's a celebration. All of heaven rejoices over one person that is found. Better believe that will be happening. Today, you're here today, and if you find yourself in that situation, you've heard about Jesus, you just really haven't received Him as your Savior yet. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day of stop running for you. Today is the day that the hound of heaven catches up with you. Pours out his love upon you. He died for you. He paid the price for your sin. Why go carrying that, that suitcase of sin all this time anymore? Give it up to God. Jesus paid that price. Let him take that upon himself. If you're here and uh, discovered that you you don't have a relationship with Christ, today is the day of salvation because you have an opportunity to pray, and it does not have to be some kind of highfalutin prayer. It's just, Lord, save me. Jesus, come into my heart. Clean me up. Help me to walk with you. Help me to follow you. Simple prayer. My prayer would be that you'd feel the assurance of God, that you are changed. You've been saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us today. And Lord, thank you for how you are that hound of heaven coming after us. And I pray, Lord, that each one here today, if they sense themselves either lost or maybe straying away, Lord, that we would be brought back by your love. 
that we would realize how much you love us, what you've done for us. And all we need to do is just ask, ask for you to come into our hearts and clean up, <laughs> receiving you as Savior and Lord, and then following you all the days of our lives. Lord, I ask that you'd be with each one here today, and if there needs to be some, some business done today, Holy Spirit, would you just guide that? Guide us into all truth. And Lord, as we pray, receive you as Savior, I pray that your assurance would come right all over, sweeping over us, Lord, that you have saved us. We are changed. Lord, thank you for your promise. And when we receive you as Savior, when we place our trust for eternal life in only you, Jesus, what you've done, the doors of heaven are swung wide open for us. We have a place waiting for us. Not only that, but we have heaven here on earth because we can reveal that the kingdom of God to those around us as well. So, Lord, I pray that you'd use each person here today for your glory. Because, Lord, there is a lost world out there as well. And we know who has the answers. So I pray, Lord, that you use each person here specifically this week. Give us someone, Lord, that we can speak to. Give us someone, Lord, that we can share your love with. And pray with. Pray for. <laughs> And I ask, Lord, that you would put that person in our mind right now that we might be thinking of. And just like you as the hound of heaven coming after the lost, I pray, Lord, that that image of that person, that name that might be on our mind will not go away. And you would help us, Lord, to pursue with your love. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. We love you, Lord, so very much. In your name we pray. Amen.